You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, co-host Scott Martin here on a Monday morning. We are recording on a Sunday morning. So if anything pops from now until then, you will know why we are not covering it. Hopefully, I don't know. You're always hoping that there's some random football commitment that gets thrown in there or something. But as of now, it is Sunday morning. Uh, Scott, how's your weekend going? We've got uh, a good episode ahead of us here, but uh, how are we doing on a on a fine Sunday morning? I took my dog out uh, yesterday morning just for a normal morning walk. And, you know, shorts and a t-shirt, kind of the default for the past few months. And for the first time, the second half of this year, the back end of this summer, I felt a little chilly. And it made me think about fall mornings, waiting for college football to start up on a Saturday morning. Uh, getting ready for game day and uh, man great great vibes to start the weekend I've been kind of just riding that wave the rest of the weekend so that's nice it's been hot out here we went to the beach yesterday we're our new apartment is only like 20 minutes from the the sea so we went to the beach the dog was absolutely berserk the whole time playing fetch running into the water threw up like eight times from drinking too much salt water so we had a good time but yeah it's still hot out here hopefully hopefully we're gonna get some uh rain this week it'll cool us down and and make me think of fall but for now it's still just summer hot annoying temperatures but uh yeah we got some fun stuff to get to today we are predicting uh the offensive starters thursday we'll get to the defensive starters as we continue to plug along here towards the season i think we have both i have finished my predictions for the season i'm pretty sure you have also finished your predictions from the season so we're we're ready we're ready to go um ola my fiance actually i didn't tell you this she made a, a nice little graphic for us in canva that will look a lot better than what we had last year to put the uh, on the social so uh, when the time comes, we'll be ready to unveil those. Uh, next week, we're getting into the predictions, but very excited for that. Uh, obviously, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribed. You're following us on all the social media stuff and and telling your friends and family. Seriously, we are less than three weeks away from Michigan State football. 
and for friends and family that you know generally listen to podcasts, if they are Michigan State fans, you can just give them a little nudge towards our podcast here. We would greatly appreciate that. Leave a review. Five stars is much appreciated. And uh, yeah, with all of that out of the way, Scott, you were watching some uh, preseason football yesterday, huh? I was. So I saw that um, the Seahawks and Steelers were going to be playing. And for those who aren't following the NFL, the Seahawks are featuring uh, our very own Kenneth Walker, which is he's still being called Ken. And I'm just <laughs> everywhere. Use the, whatever. Every media, fantasy football, normal football media, everybody is calling him Ken. I'm just going to use whatever small platform we have here uh, and scream into our echo chamber that his name is Kenneth. Uh, I heard somebody, It was, I think it was a fantasy football podcast. I don't remember which one. The host said Kenneth and then corrected himself to Ken. So that's how much that has just caught on randomly. I don't, like, we need some friendly plug in like the national football nfl media group to like was there something they received like a name guide for the whole uh rookie class i almost said freshman class rookie class that had ken in it i mean it, it started with um like the the combine stuff right going into the draft and like he publicly came out and he was like no nah, yeah i don't know where that came from but i, I my name's kenneth and I was like, all right, it's cleared up. Water yeah. under the bridge, right? And it, they everybody will call stop. him Kenneth now. And I I don't get it, man. But anyway, um, so he was playing on the Seahawks. Uh, Penny was injured, so he was a starter. He may have been the starter for a preseason game anyway. I don't know, but uh, got a good got a good spell. Um, decent showing, but uh, I didn't really flash too much. I, that offensive line struggled. Again, I don't know if they had their starting O-line in or not, but... Um, had a couple nice receptions, which was nice to see. Something we didn't see a whole lot of, obviously, at MSU. But um, and on the other side of the ball, but Scott, I heard the whole pre-draft process that he cannot catch the ball and he is a liability on passing downs. Yeah. Uh, well, if there's a place to find out, it's the Seahawks because they just get their running backs the ball as much as possible. Yeah. So, um, on the other side of the ball in Pittsburgh, we had Connor Hayward, which. I just I love the extension of this story, right? From Michigan State started as a pretty I don't know, I would say slow footed running back, but like as a tight end, his feet don't seem slow. Anyway, just never really took off as a as a back. Obviously, the story continued to tight end and H back, whatever you classify him as. And now I mean the the NFL's Twitter account tweeted a Connor Hayward highlight. Did you ever in your life think <laughs> that? sentence would come out of anyone's mouth <laughs> unless um, there was another connor hayward that came through yeah. the program like 10 years from now no, i think he I does have the advantage in terms of like publicity that obviously cam hayward is a right. successful established nfl player so like there's name familiarity there and there's a reason to to kind of bring him up in the preseason but nonetheless great game for him had a, uh his first catch was like fully extended fingertips showing off his soft hands um he had a two point conversion so he got on the scoreboard um yeah he was he was playing i don't know 30 40 50% of their offensive snaps and and had some good plays a few receptions so 
I think he's in a good spot to earn himself a roster position. He was on special teams as well, which in the regular season, I could very much see him playing on plenty of special teams. So just a great story. Obviously, we'll continue to follow our Spartans in the NFL and, and keep an eye on them. Um, but uh, yeah, good reason to turn on a Friday, Saturday night uh, preseason football game when my team wasn't playing. Yeah, I didn't watch a minute of it. I uh, I saw saw the highlights come across Twitter, but I heard they had Kenneth Walker returning kicks, which is interesting. Strategy, I think he returned to say the least one. Okay, maybe two. I it terrified me. Like just watching him, right. I wanted to cover my eyes. I was like, no, 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 no. Like preseason kick returns are not where you want to put an impact player that's (laughs) i will say like for those who haven't followed kenneth walker closely like the dude works out like a madman right like it it was something him and his dad did from like a young age and he's still just like a total gym rat and uh like they had the cameras on him in like the warm-ups or whatever his legs obviously have always been tree trunks that dude's arms are like as big as my head now. Yeah. Like he spent the whole off season just in the gym and you can tell that he's bricked up. Yeah. There's, there's no questioning his work ethic when you just see the, the transition year over year of his body. It's ridiculous. So elsewhere, before we get to this, um, before we get to the, the meat of the episode here, we do have a little announcement here. We've, We've been playing around with some different contests throughout the last couple of years, whether it's a bull pick'em or a March Madness. And last year, as you know, if you were listening, Scott and I went through our weekly college football picks against the spread. Every Friday, we put out our our episode, and we had five or six games on the national slate, including obviously the Michigan State game. And uh, it was fun, you know, just for people who love college football as a whole, as a sport, and are watching more than just Michigan State. Fun place to come and listen to us kind of give a little quick breakdown of of some of the big national games, make our picks against the spread. We were both like 70% last year or something ridiculous. I pulled it out, the our little contest, in championship week. Like it was late, late, late. One game difference. The whole and season, we, I mean, by one. we were both on fire through the whole year, and and it's funny too because I remember us having so many opposite picks that it's it's funny that it all came down to that last weekend. But I came home with uh, a nice Nike long sleeve. It's like a one of those light hoodies from Nike for Michigan State gear from Scott. So we'll see if uh, if I have to return the favor this year or not, but. Uh, this year, we're, we found a platform. It's called Run Your Pool. We will blast it all over social media as, as we actually announce it next week. But um, for those of you who are listening who want to kind of get in on that, um, we are definitely going to be doing this. So we are going to have, it's basically a year-long picks pool. Uh, you'll be able to make your picks throughout the entire season, track your picks. We'll have a leaderboard. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So just kind of teasing that out for now, we will decide on a prize. We do have a little bit of a budget for a prize. Um, so it'll be something definitely worth looking into. And if you are a college football fan, 
uh, absolutely follow along with us. We'll be, you know, announcing our leaderboards throughout the year. We'll be shouting you guys out who are making good or bad picks. Like if you're Owen six against the spread one week, we'll obviously make sure to mention that as well, but we'll have some fun with it. We're still trying to figure out the details of it next week. We will have more information, but definitely, definitely make sure you're in on that. Cause that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and other than that, speaking of, uh, point spreads and things like that we are shoot two weeks away from actual college football with uh, northwestern and nebraska and DraftKings is is the go-to um, for college football betting but also they have the first and only nft fantasy game licensed by the nflpa it's called rainmakers football you can play for all season long for millions in prizes by building the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Playing Rainmakers is simple. Build, buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, just like in daily fantasy football. And build your NFT franchise for free and enter free Rainmakers contests all season long to compete for millions in prizes the next generation of fantasy sports is here download the DraftKings daily fantasy app now sign up with promo code tppn for the pigskin podcast network of which we're a proud member click the rainmakers tile and opt in to get your first card free plus play for millions in prizes all season long while building the ultimate nft fantasy franchise with rainmakers football that's promo code tppn build play win only at DraftKings. contest entries depend on type and number of nfts held eligibility restrictions apply void where prohibited see draftkings.com for details all right so scott we are getting into the meat of our predictions as the offseason is rapidly coming to a close and today we are predicting the starting 11 on the offensive side of the ball there's a couple that are very obvious there's a couple that might take a little bit more thought Um, we're going to kind of have some fun here with our predictions versus what we would like to happen we're going to have some fun here with some first or second year players who will exceed expectations who might get on the field some of the kind of quote-unquote breakout players that you don't really see coming right now uh today will be the offense thursday will be the defense so i don't know you let me know where where do we want to start with this do we want to just get the obvious one out of the way or uh or what are we doing here we're gonna start up front okay um I think the specialists are always a little more exciting. Um, I mean, the offensive line wins or loses games. So we'll keep this the exciting specialists for the end, kind of the uh, climax of the episode, if you're comfortable with that word. Um, so we'll start up front. We talked a little bit about this the last episode. I feel like we've been talking about the offensive line quite a bit this offseason for obvious reasons. Um, some of these may be obvious. Some of them aren't. We're going to go through like the two deep. So first and second string, I think the first string is a little bit less mysterious and the second string will bring up a little more chatter. So uh, I'll let you start this off. We'll go left to right because that's how we read. So starting left tackle, Kevin, probably drum roll, probably not too much of a surprise, but who you got? So left tackle, uh, obviously going Jared Horst, 
I think that's kind of a no-brainer. He played really well when he was on the field last year for us, was kind of an anchor on the left side. Something that we had really missed since Jack Conklin, and I'm not comparing him to, he is not Jack Conklin, all right? But I think there was a void for a long time of like a really dependable left tackle, and I think Horst was that. A few too many penalties. We're going to have to clean that up, but uh, I think Horst is as steady as it gets there at left tackle. J.D. Duplain at left guard, again, is a pretty obvious one. He's been steady in there for a long time now. Nick Samek is going to be your center. I'm fairly confident in that. He's gotten a lot of snaps really the last three years um, and, and finally looking to take over that starting spot. Right guard, I think this is one of those what you think will happen versus what you hope will happen. I think it will be Matt Carrick at right guard. And I'm not super comfortable in that prediction, but if I have to take um, my personal opinions out of it and just say, like, what do I think will happen based on the tea leaves we're able to read, I think Matt Carrick is going to be your starting right guard and I think Spencer Brown is is pretty much a lock to be your right tackle. Again, the ceiling is super high there, and I'm not as high on his performance against Pittsburgh as a lot of people were. He gave up three QB hurries in that game, according to PFF. Um, there was the actual sack production or tackles for loss production wasn't really there, but when you allow three pressures in a single game, I know it's your first start. Um, I just think that there was there was more reasons to worry than a lot of people seemed to come out with. He had a couple penalties in that game as well. Um, so I, Spencer Brown, I think, is a lock to start at right tackle, and I think the ceiling is super high. But I do think we should kind of tamper those expectations that he's not going to come out and be a first team all big 10 tackle this year. I I hope he does, but I'm not as sold as a lot of people. So there's there's my starting uh starting five. Yeah, I have the same five. I think right guard is the most interesting spot right now. Um you've got Carrick and Green obviously are the obvious obviously are the obvious choices. Uh it's Sunday morning, folks. The brain's like 50% right now. Um but I think there's an opportunity and we'll get into this as we get into the second string for if someone else not in that group of two wants to make a run at this starting five for this offensive line. I think that's the spot to do it. Um, so I'll give my second string. I don't have anything really to add to your first string. It's I'll say this. I'm the further right you go, the less confident you get Brown and maybe a little more confident than that right guard spot. But um, the left side should be, as long as they're healthy, uh, a solid foundation for that line. Yeah, and I wonder if that'll tend to be like kind of every time you're looking at like third and two, are we running on the left side, right? right. I, I wonder maybe that could be a little bit too predictable and and hopefully that doesn't really be the case. But I would look for that early. If in in high leverage situations, red zone, third and short, fourth and short, are we just continuing to run to the left side because that's where we trust the O line? That'll be interesting. We hammer the left side the first two weeks of the year, left side zone runs on second and third and short, and then first, let's call it second and five against Washington. First drive, you're on that left side zone flea flicker for the touchdown. (laughs) There it is. 
Um, anyway, Flea Flicker's back. Oh, it will be back, no doubt about it. Uh, second string. This is interesting. We got a little bit of. Um, I think Chris Kapilovich did a presser early in fall camp and kind of gave us a sneak peek behind the curtain on who was kind of spelling in at second string. So left to right, the tackles, I think it still needs to be determined which side each will play, or at least I don't know which side it'll play, but I'll just give you both tackles. Um, I have Brandon Baldwin and Ethan Boyd. I don't know which side they'll be. They both have the size to play left. Um, it's just a matter of which one I think you trust more to put on that left side. But both, um, I mean, we're going to get into these names. We don't know. Like, yeah, they're they're giant mysteries. We'll see. Uh, Literally and figuratively giant. <laughs> <laughs> giant mysteries. Um, moving inside, the... I'll put green at backup center because I think if you, if you put him at a natural position on the second string, it's going to be center. But that said, I think he could play anywhere on in the middle three. Um, and that goes yeah, for a couple of these guys. I agree with you that if, if green isn't starting, he'll basically be the backup for all three of those interior spots, right? Yeah. Whoever goes down first, I guess, of those three, that's a bad way to say it, but he'll just be the one to fill in whatever whatever he needs to. Yeah, so as you look at the rest of the interior O-line, there are a ton of youngsters that could make a difference. Um, Kevin Wigginton, Gino Vandemark, Gavin Brocious, Dooley Phillips, both freshmen, but bigger dudes um if i had to pick two to, to fill in i'm gonna go gino vandemark at left guard and kevin wigginton at right guard um they've got the leg up on being redshirt freshmen whereas brocious and phillips are both true freshmen um at obviously a position that you got to be pretty developed to uh to fill in and play and this is where it gets a little sketchy right like beyond Vandemark and Wigginton, you're looking at either dudes who have been around the program long enough to show that they're not earning snaps or dudes who just got to the program. And in a position like offensive line, you have to have a rotation, especially in the interior. Like you're not going to put five guys out for 100% of the snaps. So you need guys you can trust to move the ball, to move the line of scrimmage and um, keep the offense moving. So Baldwin, Vandemark, Green, Wigginton, Boyd is my second line offensive line. Um, Kevin, give me yours, and then we'll go through a youngster in this group we think could uh, could jump up the list. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 right there with you. I know that Kapilovich has specifically mentioned Baldwin and Boyd, so. I guess that's where you would lean at tackle. And then the interior, like you said, it's just kind of picking the guys that you think maybe you could throw Fincher in there. I don't know, but yeah, I'm I'm just going to be right there with you. And then I, I guess just if, if we are just picking a young guy to exceed expectations or to fill into a role that, that we didn't really expect or um, however you want to frame that, I guess I think Brandon Baldwin could be a really good player. The problem is you you're only going to see him if a tackle goes down cuz he's not going to be filling in for a guard spot and he's 
I don't think you're really going to rotate the tackles, right? Those are just going to be there until one of them gets hurt. So with that said, I'll, I'll say Baldwin, but I think that Vandemark has a, a pretty good chance of actually kind of getting a steady rotation in some form or fashion. And in that sense, he could be a guy that you look at um, going into next year when a couple of these guys have graduated out and saying like, all right, we we saw a bit from Vandemark last year to where we feel pretty comfortable with him starting at one of those guard spots or whatever it is. So I'll, I'll kind of name both of those. Yeah, we will need um, another interior offensive line starter next year. So if everyone's healthy, this year is basically a tryout for all the youngsters. If everyone isn't healthy, then someone's going to fill in that spot. Obviously, yeah, that's, sooner than later. And that's the biggest thing with looking at these random freshmen and redshirt freshmen is you can easily look at this for 2022 and say, well, yeah, if nobody gets hurt, like we don't need any of these guys. So it doesn't really matter. It's like we're, you're as when you're looking at it from the viewpoint of Mel Tucker or Chris Kapilovich. It really matters because you're going to need one, if not more than one of these guys to start next season. And you don't want to be going into next season's. This is where it was nice seeing Spencer Brown in the bowl game, right? We at least have something to go off of rather than just, yeah, I guess Spencer Brown is in there. He played like 60 snaps in his career. It's like, no, he played and started a full game against a good team. And that's where you can go into this year with a bit more confidence and at least knowing he can hold his own there. You're, you're going to need to see that. Spencer Brown is a, is a redshirt junior. He's been on campus for four right. years, whereas, you know, Vandemark and um, some of these other youngsters, they're redshirt f- freshmen, uh, second year on campus. Um, and, and beyond that, when you look at these, this interior offensive line, Nick Samick and J.D. Duplain are both seniors. Now they they have another year of eligibility after this year because they have the COVID exemption. But a guy like JD Duplain, if he has a really strong year and it's his senior year, if, if he's got good draft stock, he could very well leave after this season. Um, at, at a position like offensive line where injuries could always be looming, I mean, just in the game of football in general, he may think this is his best chance. And then you got two guards to replace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so same thing could happen to Samak, but he's always been half a year behind Duplain in terms of, I think, production and readiness. Um, but I think if I have to pick a youngster here, um, I'm going to go with Gino Vandemark, like you said, because he's going to get on the field. And I think that right guard spot, like Green and Carrick, I think to an extent, we kind of know what their ceiling is. And we don't know what these youngsters' ceilings are. So if Vandemark comes out there and really shows that he's he he can execute live, I mean, I don't expect him to be starting by the end of the season. But if I had to pick one of these youngsters that could, I think the combination of his talent and the opportunity at a position he can play gives him a chance to, to climb up that depth chart uh, this season. So keep an eye on Gino Vandemark, New Jersey's finest. Yeah. So where are we going next? We'll get the uh we'll rip the band-aid off here on on quarterback. So uh 
I don't think this needs too much time on, on first <laughs> string. Obviously, Peyton Thorne is is the guy, but um, I don't know, Scott. Is is there a competition brewing? <laughs> <laughs> the second string competition is absolutely brewing, and we're just gonna mix second your second string pick with like the youngster that you think might. We'll just summarize it as: Can either of the youngsters usurp Noah Kim, the longtime, well, long time he's a redshirt sophomore, but longtime backup? At, for that second string job. No, I, st- I still think when push comes to shove, as much as we would like Caden Hauser to be the backup, just to see what that would look like for the future and, and building that, I think as a college football coach, you have to you have to always be thinking about the future and you always have to be thinking, all right, if Caden Hauser's the next guy, we need we need to see him, right? We need to get him on the field and and make sure that we give him a chance to to develop a little bit and see other competition and see different coverages. But at the same time, your most important thing, and we always have to kind of remember this when we talk about starting the freshman or starting the four-star guy with potential. The most important thing for a college football coach. I know it sounds dumb, but we have to actually say this is winning games. You have to take advantage of every single season as a college football coach because you can enter the hot seat real quick. You can start losing recruits because of a losing season real quick. So at the end of the day, you have to think about if Peyton Thorne were to go down, knock on wood, hopefully we don't have to explore this, but you have to think not in terms of, well, this is a good excuse to get this guy, this young guy, some snaps. You have to think about it as, how do I win next week? Who gives me the best chance to win next week? And I ultimately think that it would be Noah Kim. They, they've talked about how his, his tangibles, like his arm strength and all that stuff, is kind of better than people think it is. Um, and they've all glowed about him in terms of like on a chalkboard in the playbook for the last couple of years. So I, I really think if something were to happen to where we need it, I think it would be Noah Kim. If Noah Kim were to, if Peyton Thorne were to leave the program after this year, go, let's say go to the NFL because he wins the Heisman, whatever. Uh, and Noah Kim started the year. Can you imagine the pressure to, like you look at Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy in Ann Arbor, yeah. right? And like it would be absolutely that situation where, like, even if Noah Kim was like unbiasedly clearly the best option, winning the, games, the pressure yeah. to get Kate and Hauser, even Hamp Faye, depending on what we see from him, the pressure to get one of those guys in as soon as Noah Kim mm-hmm. has a slip up would be immense. But he throws uh, one interception and yeah. Yeah, so, it would be anyway. like the uh, the Damian Terry chance that were just like every other week for a couple of years there in East Lansing. Yeah, so I was uh, this weekend. I was in one of the consume as much MSU football content as I can rabbit holes, and I saw a video. I think it was like an MSU football Instagram, you know, video like they've been putting out, and I saw a pass from Kaden Hauser to like Jack Nickel gave me a little glimpse of the future right and then they they flashed like jeremy bernard and they flashed um antonio gates and stuff and i was like you know not this year and i love where we're at this year yeah but like man i'm excited for this offense of the future 
Uh, I think we have such a great pipeline in that passing game uh, developing that I think we can be excited for a while. But yeah, right now this season, Noah Kim, I think he's just the guy that you you have a little more trust in. Uh, he, he's been diagnosing and reacting to college speed um, plays for a year or two more um, than the other guys. And I think that's the biggest question really with these three. I think they all have the physical ability to, to play the position, but who can diagnose defenses who can make their reads the quickest and make the best decisions. Obviously that's really what dictates playing time for quarterbacks at the end of the day. So yeah. Like when we talk about a backup quarterback, it's as simple as like who gives you the best chance in a game that, Hey, it's your backup quarterback. You're probably not supposed to win, but who gives you the best chance to beat Washington or Minnesota or Wisconsin, right? Like, if you if we have, if we have Peyton Thorne, we're not going to beat Ohio State. So if if we don't have Peyton Thorne, we're definitely like that's just a a total misnomer. If we're talking about like Indiana at home, you can convince me that we should just play Caden Hauser because we're going to win the game anyway, and it would be nice to get him some reps. But I'm talking at Illinois, one of those sneaky games where it's like this mu- this has to be a win. Who gives us the best chance of winning that game? And I think objectively, most people would probably answer Noah Kim. Still so excited to see the first couple of games of the season oh, I am too. when we get this glimpse into these quarterbacks. That's really, I think, from a quarterback position, we got two games, right? Because Washington, you're playing your starters. And after that, any Big Ten game, you're not taking, yeah. uh, unless we're like up huge, we're not taking our starters out. So um we'll have two games to enjoy it and then the real fun starts so yeah we might be able to get a a 24 nothing lead at halftime against akron but speaking of running backs uh well we weren't speaking of running backs but we are now (laughs) uh the search for the next kenneth walker as the media would love to have you think Uh, i guess we're part of the media Uh, i don't know if we are not but um, I hate that even Michigan State beat reporters are getting sucked into this. It's I the hate clicks, it. man. It's you just take K9's name, you put it somewhere to get someone to click on it, and we're probably doing the same thing. Um, running back is it's an interesting position. Obviously, two of the biggest transfer names of the of the cycle in Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard. You've got a guy like Davion Prim coming up through the wings, and then you've got some old reliable. Uh, well, I don't. Reliable is an interesting word for them, but Eli Collins and Jordan Simmons, who they've been around a while and you know, you're going to get three yards in a cloud of dust with either of them. Um, so this is an interesting one. I mean, we're talking on like starters, I guess that would be your first snap guy, right? Your first down guy. So I'll start this one. I think Jalen Berger is the name for like your first down back. That said, I think if you're looking at the most prominent guy in this backfield, I think it's Jarek Broussard. In terms of the guy who could like really make the biggest impact on on games, I think Jarek Broussard is a little bit more impactful. Um, but you've described them as your 1A and your 1B this offseason. I think that's really where it's at. But if we're picking a starter, first guy on the field for the offense, I'll go with Jalen Berger. I think his, his game transmits to a first down back better. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, this backfield is going to resemble 2015 
a lot more than it resembles, you know, any other year. 2015, you had LJ Scott, 146 carries. Madre London, 120 carries. Gerald Holmes, 110 carries. All three of them had a few catches, right? I I think you're going to see a lot of Jarek Broussard. I think you're going to see a lot of Jalen Berger. And I think you're going to see... It, it, the way I'm kind of looking at it is you're going to see like 40% Jarek Broussard, 35% um, Jalen Berger, and then 25% some Eli Collins, some Harold Joyner, some Davion Prim. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. So in that sense, I guess Jarek Broussard is your quote-unquote starter because I think he'll get the biggest workload of everybody. But I think you're going to see like five, six different names get some semblance of like a consistent workload. And you're going to see at least three guys get pretty significant reps in a similar vein as as 2015 with LJ Scott, Madre London, Gerald Holmes. Um, even Delton Williams had like mm-hmm. 25 carries. Uh, LJ Sh- RJ Shelton, I know he was more of a wide receiver. He had 25 carries. Like That's kind of where I see this backfield. I don't see a workhorse. I see a, a pretty deep stable of a lot of different skill sets, um, and a lot of different ways that guys can be you. Yeah, I see this panning out kind of similar to how like a college basketball team works their rotation in the season, right? So early season, everyone's touching the floor. Obviously, your your top tier guys are are getting more minutes, but you've got in this backfield, all six guys are going to be rotating for the first couple weeks. And then you'll just narrow it down based on who's most productive. I yeah. would expect that to be Berger and Broussard, but the other four guys, like what niches are they filling well and, and excelling in? And then just when they're, when you're calling the same play for each of them, which one's getting the most out of it. Right. And I think Davion Prim, I mean, Berger and Broussard are new blood, obviously, and they're, they're really going to staple this backfield, but you look at the rest of them. I mean, speaking of youngsters that could make a difference, Davion Prim's the only first or second year running back in the, on the team that's not a walk-on so he would be the obvious name but speaking on Davion Prim I do think he could exceed like a Simmons or a Collins or a Joyner I mean Joyner Joyner's already kind of a niche guy right kind of a passing game specialist I'd call him but he's yeah he's kind of the only one who has like a pretty sick pretty specific role like everybody else is kind of a good, well-rounded back. And he has a pretty specific niche, like you said, that that might help him in carving out a role for himself. But you're not going to see Harold Joyner on first down take a power run to the right yeah. side. Like That's just not in the cards. So looking at the other three, Collins, Simmons, and Prim, Collins and Simmons, like, you know what you're going to get. They're probably going to take care of the ball. They're probably going to fall forward. Jordan Simmons is going to put his head down and run like a cartoon and slam into the first thing that gets in his way. Even if um, it's the back of his offensive lineman. So if Davion Prim can come out and show that, I think this is the thing that Simmons and Collins are missing that Prim could or could not have is the ability to make someone miss like yeah. Collins and Simmons, they can find a hole and they can drive their legs through it, but like they're running in a straight line. If Davion Prim can come out and make someone miss in the open field and show a little bit of dynamics in his running style, 
I think he could jump up the pecking order really quick. Um, and and on that point too, he might be the only one with the capability of being like a big play guy. Cause that's one thing that the more I've thought about this running back room that I'm a little bit worried about. You don't have a guy who can bust off a 60 yard touchdown run. And, you know, we're not even going to mention the guy's name last year who did that a lot. And that really made a big difference in some point totals and some, some games that we probably shouldn't have won or wouldn't have won without him busting off some 50, 60, 70 yard runs. I don't really know if we have a guy this year who's capable of that. And it can work like 2015 to go back to them. It was the same thing. Like none of those guys were busting off 60 yard touchdown runs. They were all consistently ripping off like 10 to 20 yard runs and nice little chunk plays when you needed it. But we talk about how explosive our offense in general was last year and a lot of it was the the flea flickers and the Jalen Naylor bombs down the field but a lot of it was just Kenneth Walker taking a handoff and running 75 yards for a touchdown and I just don't see that element in the offense this year and that again you can have a successful offense without that but it definitely makes it a little bit more challenging yeah yeah home run threat from a running back would be a huge not addition because we had it last year, but a huge thing to find in this group. Um, and you're right. Uh, other than Prim, I don't know if Prim has it, but we know the other guys really don't. I mean, I, I watched Kenneth exactly. Walker with my own two eyes rip off a 94-yard touchdown run at Rutgers, and um, I just don't see him outrunning entire def- anyone on this group outrunning entire defenses unless Prim's got the speed. Um, but running back in general, six guys who can come on the field and give you some opportunity and hopefully a couple of those will exceed the just kind of filling the uh, the gap at running back and really show that they have star potential but exciting group exciting new names and some some old faithfuls um moving to probably the best position on the offense i don't think anyone would really argue with that at wide receiver two steady names on the first line reed mosley i don't think that's uh reinventing the wheel here we know those guys will be there um, the third wide receiver, Kevin, I'll, I'll give you the first stab at this. I think one name it will probably on the same page. I think one name is starting to rise above the rest for that third spot. Yeah, I was banging the Montori Foster drum for a long time, but it's it's Keon Coleman, dude. The, the way that they've been talking about him and and pumping up his, uh, you know, they've been putting out highlights of him at camp and they they've really been throwing that name in your face enough to where I just I would be shocked if it was anybody other than Keon Coleman the the interesting thing is this is a question for you if so I think it's pretty obvious if we're lining up with three wide receivers you're going to have Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman on the outside and Trey Mosley in the slot Trey Mosley ran like 90 percent of his snaps last year out of the slot I expect that to continue question is if we're lining up two tight ends, two wide receivers, if we're lining up a tight end, a fullback, and two wide receivers, who would the two be more often than not? Because like I said, Trey Mosley ran 90% of his snaps out of the slot last season. And you would think just 
you know, if we're doing it numerically, like Jaden Reed is our number one ride wide receiver, Trey Mosley, probably our number two wide receiver. But does that mean that he's in 11 personnel formations like that? That part is pretty interesting to me. I think it's obviously situational. Um, if we got two tight ends in because we're in the red zone, I think it makes sense to have Keon Coleman in there for the extra red zone threat. I think one factor that'll play into that decision is who can block better. Um, if we're yeah. if we got eleven personnel in, chances are we're at least trying to threaten the run. If not, we're actually running more. And this staff has made it very clear that downfield blocking from the wide receivers and skill positions is a huge priority. And it's one of the reasons Kenneth Walker was able to um, take so many home runs to the house last season. Um, so downfield many blocking last year were, was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, no block, no rock, as they say. So I think Coleman, I mean, he's got the size to to block a corner really well. I mean, I'm not saying Trey Mosley's a poor blocker at all, but just speaking like in football terms, Keon Coleman's 6'4", 200 plus pounds. You would think he could handle his own against most corners, assuming he has the quickness to stay in front of him. Um, but Keon Coleman, I think, adds so much of an extra dimension to this offense that last year we were lacking. We, we said a few times that like the whole wide receiver room last year was six foot, 195 pounds. Every single one of them was within mm-hmm. like one inch and five to 10 pounds of that. Keon Coleman all of a sudden comes in at six, four and extremely athletic. That's well-documented at this point, obviously a, on the basketball team had a great high school basketball career. You would imagine that would, uh, um, transition well to to jump balls in the red zone um, and just a strong dude who by all accounts is is excelling so I don't know if it'll be like he's the new name or if it's going to be like he's the new star that that I think is a big question but I think Keon Coleman's going to be on the field more plays than he's not when that offense is out there um, and it's I know something that this fan base has been really excited to see ever since he committed he was probably the biggest name recruit with the most excitement from that COVID class, right? Committed without ever visiting campus from Louisiana. Um, Yeah, really excited to see what he can do. And the last position, staying with the pass catchers, another interesting one with how much Michigan State plays with one tight end H-back, depending on the formation. Before you move to tight end, I, I am curious how much do you think we've started to see some smoke? How much do you weigh the possibility of seeing Jeremy Bernard, Antonio Gates, Tyrell Henry of seeing one of these freshmen actually make an impact play a hundred, 200 snaps, pull in, 15 20 catches like i'm not talking you know step in and be a starter but i'm talking step in and be an actual part of the offense thank you for reminding me this is a two deep episode (laughs) and not just the starters blew right by it um last season keon coleman was in the two deep right he was a backup i don't know if he was fourth fifth or sixth but he was in that group right and he got a fair I think you looked up his snap count before we started recording from last season. Yeah, um, I got it here. He was on the field for uh 
So like 40 some snaps, um, basically less than 50. So pretty limited workload. Right. Um, that said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that he was a part of the offense last year. I would say he was just a depth piece who, who got some snaps. I'm talking a role bigger than what Keon Coleman had last year. So we really didn't rotate our wide receivers too much, which is no. interesting. You'd think we would have, but we kept them on the field. I don't expect that trend to change. You know, if, if the guys were putting out there are being productive, um, so I'd expect the top three, maybe with a fourth to, to really rotate in. So I think it'll be hard for one of the young wide receivers to really crack into any meaningful production. Um, there's two names, three, two, three names that I think will get in there. I put together my next three Montori Foster. I think pretty clearly is number four. He's the only yeah. guy who really did anything last year. Cade McDonald, I think is like a reliable target he also went to high school with peyton thorne a little bit less um <laughs> publicized than Jaden reed but they have good rapport and he's made plays in the past so i think he could be a spell guy when you need him um i did put jeremy bernard in there because i think if keon coleman was like the number six guy i think jeremy bernard could also be that um but antonio gates tyrell henry like both could be ahead of Bernard. I don't know. Bernard seemed to be the most developed in high school, um, just in terms of how refined his game was. But And he was the one who was here for spring compared to the other guys. And there will be times when we have four wide receivers on the field. I think that fourth would be Montori Foster. So that's my top six. Um, Bernard's kind of my top youngster outside the top line, but Keon Coleman obviously is the uh, first or second year guy that I think has the most potential to make an impact. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think Foster's going to see quite a few snaps, but um, I, I really think Coleman has overtaken him. But yeah, I, I would be, it would take, I think, even more than one injury to see one of the freshmen take like an actual workload. And again, I'm talking like a hundred some snaps. I'm talking a few targets every game, like a, a real part of the offense. I just, I would have a hard time seeing that. So looking at tight end, now that we've, we're ready to move on finally. Um, this one is, it's interesting. You've got like a pretty clear top two. You've got a couple of uh, exciting freshmen and then a couple other pieces. So looking at this group, I really think there's three guys who have a chance for snaps, and that's Malik Carr, Tyler Hunt, and incoming transfer Daniel Barker. Um, behind them, you've got Jack Nickel and Michael Masunas, both true freshmen and a couple of walk-ons. But you look at those top three, Kevin, and you can include anyone else if you want to, but I think it's those top three. Yeah. How do you see the tight end rotation and roles panning out? Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of Daniel Barker. And I also think you're going to see a lot of Malik Carr, but I, I feel like Malik Carr is a guy who you're going to see when he's on the field, he's going to be running a route and possibly be getting targeted. And you're going to see Daniel Barker as a consistent, like almost every down part of the offense, doing some blocking, doing some route running, catching some balls, 
And I think when Malik Carr is in, it's kind of we have this package and we have this set of plays that are designed around Malik Carr being in the game. And I think you're going to see kind of some specialized, a lot like we saw last year, but just on a bigger scale. Like last year, you saw a lot of that tight end screen game that we didn't really do unless Malik Carr was in the game. We didn't really run those same plays for Connor Hayward or Tyler Hunt, right? Malik Carr last year, this is according to PFF, he had 14 yards after the catch per reception. And I know, again, a lot of that is just, it was a screen pass, right? So almost every yard that he gained was a yard after the catch. I get it. But that's ridiculous for a tight end. That is absolutely ridiculous. 14 yards after the catch per reception. So I think you're going to see Malik Carr in some specialized packages and some specialized roles. But you're going to see a lot more on a snap-to-snap basis of Daniel Barker. Daniel Barker will be very productive, um, I think, this season as as we continue to kind of um, really broaden the passing game. Now, you're you're looking at – you you kind of have a little bit of everything. You have the Keon Coleman, the big kind of jump ball guy who is also fast. You have Jaden Reed as the jack of all trades. He can do literally everything. You have Trey Mosley as that slot specialist, finding soft spots in the defense. And then you have Daniel Barker, the prototype kind of tight end, jump ball guy, 250 pounds. And then you have Malik Carr as this kind of wild card, X-factor type guy who's like 6'5", but he might run a 4'5 flat at 235, 240 pounds, whatever he is. He's kind of that wild card in this offense that you can throw in there and he can really turn the juice up and make this offense kind of take that next leap if he as if he is as good and returns on the promise this year. Uh, but I, I just I don't think he's ready for that full time workload yet. So that's kind of where I'm at with the tight ends. He he's the wild card of this whole offense to me. Yeah, Ted Gilmore that MSU tight ends coach was the position coach on one of the uh, press conferences, I think last week uh, as they go through fall camp. So he's obviously talking about his group and he was piping up Malik Carr as becoming a much more well-rounded player starting to complete. He's not just, you know, a pass catching athlete anymore, but he's learning to block. He's learning to be a complete tight end. Daniel Barker is that Uh, he spent four years at Illinois becoming that. And he can do it all. Connor Hayward last year earned the big role he had because he could block so well. He has great hands. He's a good route runner, but he earned his time on the field because he was willing to block and do it really well. Um, I think this is kind of, I, I see it more as a competition between Barker and Carr to, uh, I don't, I don't think Carr is going to be as much of a gadget guy as maybe you do. Um, but that all depends on how much what Gilmore is saying is true. You know, he could be saying that because he wants Malik Carr to focus more on that. So he's saying, yeah, he's, he's really focused on that kind of to put yeah. the thought in the car's <laughs> head, or it could be true. He could actually have come a long way because last year he didn't see the field too much because he couldn't do those other little things and went into this off season, making it a priority. So I think the first couple weeks, we're going to see those two battling it out. Um, they're going to be expected to do everything, to block, to to play from the backfield, to play on the line, obviously to catch passes. 
Um, that said, I think Daniel Barker is an incredible uh, addition to this team because it takes so much pressure off Malik Carr panning yeah. out. Like without Daniel Barker, it's Malik Carr or Tyler Hunt. And I love Tyler Hunt, but he's <laughs> just, he's limited. Uh, I think that's pretty well documented. So um, I do think Tyler Hunt will scrap out a role because he is kind of a do everything pretty well guy. And he's like a nice, you can put him out there and expect him to do what he's supposed to reasonably well, but he's not going to win you games. So I think those three will all see the field, but I think Barker and Carr going into the first couple of weeks are really in like a 50, 50 battle for the, the majority of the workload. Yeah. I mean, I think like if you're looking at this in like Madden ratings or whatever, it's like Daniel Barker is like the steady 85, you know, it's just, he's a really good player. You like having him in the the lineup. But Malik Carr is the guy who's like an 81, but his potential is like 99. And you're like, I know the other guy's a little bit better right now, but I'm just going to put him in because, you know, as as the season goes on, his overall is going to just skyrocket with, with the experience points that he gains and whatever, you know. But that's kind of the way I see it. It's like Daniel Barker's the steady, good just solid Big Ten tight end. We know exactly what we're going to expect from him. Even though he hasn't been at Michigan State, he's coming over from another program. He's been doing it for long enough that you kind of know what you're going to get. And Malik Carr is that. Like I said, he's he's the offensive wild card. He's the guy who could boost this offense into some hyper gear. Or if he just kind of you know does what he does again last year, it's you know it's going to put a lot more a little bit more pressure on Peyton Thorne rather than, you know, his skill, skill players, but either way with or without Malik Carr, I think we can agree that the pass catchers in general, if we're just talking about Daniel Barker plus the wide receivers, like it's a really good group. Malik Carr has just that potential to take it to that next level. Yeah. So that's your offense folks. Um, The storylines have, largely stayed the same the whole offseason right how will the offensive line hold up how will the right side pan out um can Peyton Thorne take the next step and be the centerpiece of an offense um I'll give the people a a peek behind the curtain we we hopped on the stream yard today and I think it was the first thing that you said at like 7 a.m or whatever it was just like Dude, our, our offensive line is like one or two injuries away from just disaster. <laughs> and I yeah. think I think that's kind of how you can sum up this offense. With this with a healthy starting five, I think this could be a really, really good offense. Like a top three, top four offense in the Big Ten. I think this this could be a really good group. But we're two injuries on the offensive line away from this just falling into pieces potentially. Cause I, you could lose a wide receiver or two and be okay. You could lose a tight end. You'd be okay. We could lose a running back or two. You'd be okay. Obviously Peyton Thorne's quarterback. It's different, but offensive line just scares the hell out of me because that is thin ice that we are skating on. Yeah. So and I, I also think we don't really know what the the high what the ceiling of the starting five on offensive line is, right? Can we rely on these no, guys? No. Um we had a lot of experience. Kevin Jarvis, AJR Curry, those guys, like they were pushers. They were pretty good. They were not exceptional, but they were pretty good. And I don't know if we we have pretty good across the line anymore. No. Um pass catchers are 
as long as we can get the ball downfield, they're primed and ready to make a huge splash. Um, Peyton Thorne, we've seen him be good. Can he be great? And can he be consistently great? Um, big question. And how will the new running back committee uh, pan out? So I think the offense is really exciting. I think it could be the real linchpin uh, for this season, obviously. And yeah, I'm really excited to see the first couple weeks in these. We've got a couple exciting battles uh, to watch. Yeah, so Thursday we'll get to the defense. We'll be doing the same thing, going through the predictions, kind of running through our two deep, talking about potential young impact players, and uh, we'll we'll kind of go from there next week. We're making our predictions, and like I said, kind of make sure that you're following along on social media too because we're going to start blasting out this uh, picks pool that we're going to be doing the whole season. We're going to be picking Michigan State games plus another four or five. We'll, we'll settle on a number of other Big Ten games, big national games um, for all the people who are college football fans more than just being Michigan State fans. So keep an eye on the social media. Make sure you're following for that, and uh, we'll have some fun. So until Thursday, hope everybody has a great start to the week. Go green. Go white.